If you have your Bibles, I invite you to grab them and turn with me to the book of Romans. As always, if you don't have a Bible with you this morning, that's okay. There should be a blue one somewhere near you uh, on either the end of your pew or the one behind or in front of you. Feel free to grab one of those and open with me to the book of Romans. We are looking this morning, uh, continuing through Romans 15. And our, our passage this morning is verses 14 through 21. I will read them for us. And then we will pray and seek God's help as we do every week in understanding his word. So look with me at Romans 15. Paul writes, beginning in verse 14. I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge and able to instruct one another. But on some points, I have written to you very boldly by way of reminder Because of the grace given me by God to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God. So that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. In Christ Jesus, then, I have reason to be proud of my work for God. For I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience by word and deed. By the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and all the way around to Illyricum, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. And thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. But as it is written, those who have never been told of him will see and those who have never heard will understand. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord stands forever. Pray with me. Father, we we need your help this morning. God, I, I need your help this morning. As we come to your word, we we come before you and asking for your spirit to help us. Spirit, will you open our eyes to see the truth of your word? And not only to see and understand this truth, but to believe it for what it is to be true. Spirit, as we believe it and as we understand it, help us to go and, and do it. To live in obedience, an obedience that flows from faith. God, help us to be mission minded people as we study your word this morning. Convict us, refresh us, redeem us. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. There's a, a part of me that is, has always enjoyed reading. Now, not, I don't enjoy reading every single book or, or reading every kind of book, but I especially love reading novels and books with a, a good story to them. Uh, but, but one pet peeve of mine always comes towards the very end of every good novel. Uh, you've been reading the, you're, you're reading the, the plot, you're following it up, it's, it's getting exciting, you're, you're in the middle of that point where you can't put the book down, even if it is two o'clock in the morning, like you, you have to keep reading to figure out how things are gonna get resolved. Because you're so close to the very end. And you finally read, if you're reading a, a story of, of war, for example, you, you finally read the conclusion of the war, the battle is won, the good guys win, and then, 
there's like a hundred more pages of the book. That's all. It's been a huge pet peeve of mine. Like, why can't the book just end right after all the good parts end? But instead, you're given a hundred pages of just boring resolution of how things just tie up, where the author just ties a nice, pretty red ribbon on everything. It's always been a pet peeve of mine, and and maybe maybe one of yours as well. But if that's you, if you're like me and you don't always enjoy the final chapters of a book. Let me encourage you as we begin this morning, as we start what is really the final section of Romans. We have finished the quote unquote good part of Romans. We have we've studied the deep dives of theology. We have seen the applications given to us as Christians and how the gospel speaks and transforms our lives. And what we have here in the last little chapter and a half of this letter are some personal greetings and some well wishes and some thoughts and prayers and travel plans and itineraries. And it may be hard to believe that the traveling itineraries of a missionary from 2000 years ago have anything to say about our lives in the year 2024. But they do. Because regardless of what this contains, the content of this part of the letter, it still belongs to God's word and therefore it is still profitable. For teaching and instruction and correction and, and, and admonishment. And so this morning I, I want us to, to look here at the beginning part of this final section. And, and I want us to see Paul's heart. Paul's mindset. As he considers the days that lie ahead of him. We, we see in these verses his concern and his pastoral heart for the church in Rome. But also we see his desire and his, his longing to preach the gospel to those who have not yet heard. His desire to plant churches and to support the poor and to continue his missionary work until either he has no more breath in his lungs or every nation has heard. And Christ returns. And you see, in all of this, I think we are given very much an example in the life and the ministry of Paul. And it is an example that you and I as believers should strive to imitate. And we would do well to imitate Paul here. As we look at these eight verses here in Romans 15, I want to show you the, the missional mindset that Paul had and how this missional mindset impacted his decisions, how it affected his plans and his pride in the work that God had set before him, all of it. And as we study Paul's mindset, my, my hope and my prayer is that you... Both as an individual believer and as a corporate body of Christ. That we will have the desire to have this same missional mindset among ourselves. That we would share Paul's ambitions. That we would share his motivations. That we would share his missional mindset. And that we would be known as a missional minded people. So there are four traits Four traits of mission-minded people that are each displayed in Paul here. I want us to understand them, and then I want us to imitate them. So, trait number one. Mission-minded people make healthy churches. Mission-minded people make healthy churches. If you look at, at verse 14, you'll, you'll see what I'm talking about. Paul says, I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able to instruct one another. 
Now, some readers have seen this verse as a a sort of flattery. Paul has spent 15 chapters now telling Rome all the things that they don't know. And then at the end here, he says, well, I kind of hope, think, slash desire you to know these things. So maybe I'll just throw this on the end. Right. This is this is Paul trying to say that he's trying to wrap up his letter and he doesn't really know how. So he's just saying, hey, I'm happy to say you, you already know all this. I don't have to keep going. I can wrap things up here. But I, I don't see it that way, if I'm honest. I don't see Paul as the, the, the overly flattering type. This isn't flattery. This is courtesy. You see, Paul didn't write Romans because he thought the church in Rome didn't know the gospel. He wrote this letter because he knew that they already did. And he wanted to encourage them in this. And so he, he praises them here for being a healthy church, one that is rooted and established in Christ. And if that's the case, then maybe some of you might ask, well, why does Paul go into such great detail about the gospel here if the church already knows it? When you consider some of the issues that Paul had to address in other churches like Galatians, for example. The reason that Paul's the reason for Paul's depth and detail of writing in Romans becomes a little bit clearer, I think. Consider Galatians, for example. And if you don't know much about the the letter to Galatians or the church in Galatia, here's here's the the gist of it. Paul writes to the church because some people in the church have drifted away from the gospel and they've begun preaching and adopting a salvation by works mentality. And Paul is very hard on the church in Galatians. He calls them fools and idiots at one point in his letter. Um, But he, he corrects them. And, and it would make sense that we, for us to ask, why wouldn't Paul give all of this detail to a church that so clearly and desperately needs the details of the gospel? Because he doesn't give it this level of detail in Galatians. And I think ultimately the answer to this is because Galatians, they weren't ready for it. They lacked the goodness and the knowledge and the ability to instruct one another that Paul says is true of this Romans church. In short, Galatia was an unhealthy church, which Paul corrects, while Romans is a healthy church made up of people who do what God calls them to do, who know what God calls them to know, and then teach one another in these things. You see, what we really see in in this verse of Romans 15 is not simple flattery. It is very much high praise. Paul says, I am satisfied about you. My brothers in Rome, because you are healthy and you are able to consider these deep, deep truths about the gospel. So the question then we must ask is, what makes the Roman church a healthy church? And are we one as well? Paul gives three three qualifiers for what makes a church a healthy church in verse 14. He says, you are filled with goodness. This is a a term of morality. It's not just that they were doing good things, but that they were good people. Now, don't misunderstand that term. The church in Rome were sinners and they had sinned grievously against God. They needed salvation in Christ. But having believed in Christ and having been justified by faith in Christ, they were being sanctified and being made holy through their faith being lived out. Or to put it simply, their faith in Christ led them to obedience in Christ, which in turn made them filled with goodness. They were good. 
because they did what was good. Second qualifier, they are filled with all knowledge. Not only were they good, they were biblically literate. They knew the gospel, they knew the scriptures, they grew up in the they grew in the knowledge of Christ. And that's why Paul could write them this letter with all the difficult teachings that we've seen, all the depth, all the intricacies of the gospel. It's not because they lacked knowledge, but it's precisely because they had knowledge and they were capable of receiving more knowledge. Think of it this way. It might be helpful to to think of it in terms of, of school students at different ages and grades. Kindergarten students. When they are sent home from school for a weekend or, or a Monday, Monday evening, they might be asked to read three or four pages out of their C-spot run book before they come back to school the next day. While a high school senior might be given a, a very thick novel and told to read the next three chapters, which is anywhere from 50 to 100 pages before school the next day. The, the reason that the, the high school senior is given more work, is given more reading, is given more instruction, is because he has a higher capacity to receive it than a kindergarten student would. The church in Rome is like the high school senior. They've grown, they've matured in the gospel. They, they are able to, to receive deeper knowledge because they already have a great deal of knowledge. They were filled With all knowledge. And qualifier number three, they were able to instruct one another. This is the last one. Not only not only did the Romans have goodness and knowledge for themselves as individuals, they used this goodness and this knowledge to teach and instruct and admonish each other. I I think one of the strongest pieces of evidence that a church is healthy is when the church is not reliant on outside sources for teaching and instruction. I think one of the clearest signs that that a church has health issues is when a church has to look elsewhere for teaching than from within its own body. You see, I'm, I'm thankful for these biblical marks of a healthy church. Because they give something to strive for. They give us something to to work towards. They also give us a guide by which we can evaluate ourselves on whether Bear Creek is a healthy church. Are we filled with goodness? Are we as a church made up of believers who seek to do what God commands in all situations? Do we pursue holiness? Do we obey Are we filled with all knowledge? Are we a church that can handle deeper knowledge of the gospel? Are we growing in our knowledge of Christ? Or are we content to just stay put? Satisfied with what we already know. To put it another way, as one of the other writers of the New Testament puts it. Are you content with a diet of milk like newborn babies? Or do you want more steak and potatoes for your meals? And then lastly, are we able to instruct one another? Now, I want to be be clear on this. This able to instruct one another that Paul talks about is not saying you have a really good pastor. That's not what this is. This has nothing to do with the pastor. Being able to instruct one another as a church is 
is that saying that are we as members and as individual believers within the body, do we have a teaching voice? Do we have a desire to encourage brothers and sisters who sit next to us who struggle with with doubts and fears and busyness and work and parenting and grandparenting and retirement and work and all the things that come with living as a believer? Do you, as an individual believer, have the capacity to turn to someone next to you and teach them about God's word? And I'm not saying diving into the, the, the depths of ancient Hebrew or ancient Greek, but, but I'm saying, can you look at someone's situation or someone struggling, someone weeping, someone mourning, and point them to a psalm to encourage them? Or if you see someone living in sin, can you point to Scripture and say, that's not right and you should repent? Look what God's Word says. Or if someone is trying to read the Bible on their own and they come to a difficult passage and they say, I don't really know what this means. Are we the kind of church that they could just point and choose any one of our members and be taught by the one that they come to? Let us be a healthy church, Bear Creek. Let us be known for these three things. That we would be filled with goodness. That we would be filled with knowledge. And that we, as a church, would be able to instruct one another. Because mission-minded people make healthy churches. So let's be a healthy church. Trait number two. Mission-minded people make mission-minded people. Mission-minded people make mission-minded people. If Paul thought the Roman church was healthy and knowledgeable about all these things, why write the letter? And he answers in verse 15 and 16. But on some points, he says, I have written to you very boldly by way of reminder because of the grace given me by God to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in priestly service of the gospel of God so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Now, there's a lot of, of clauses and, and prepositional phrases. There's a lot of religious and ceremonial language here. But let's let's break this down. Paul says he is a minister to the Gentiles. That he serves in a priestly service. With the goal that the offering that he gives as a priest would be acceptable and sanctified. It's, this language very clearly points us or should point us back to the Old Testament and to the, the role and the office of the priest in the temple. And if we understand Paul's meaning here, I, I think we have to understand the role of the priest there. So in the Old Testament, priests were the ones who facilitated and led worship in Israel. Worship and sacrifice often went hand in hand and, and they, they had to do it. It was hard to do one without the other. The priest facilitated this. He took the offering for the sacrifice. He examined it, made sure it was worthy for a sacrifice of worship. He inspected the animal for any spots or blemishes. And then on behalf of the family who was offering it, he, the priest would kill it, place it on the altar and offer it to God and burn it. To please and to, to bring joy in an act of worship for this family. To come before God, whether it was for the forgiveness of sins or, or whether a grain offering of thanksgiving and, and gratefulness, the priest facilitated all of this. And Paul here views himself as a priest to Gentiles. Which should already sort of catch our ear a little bit because Gentiles didn't have a priest in the Old Testament. 
Not a priest to, to Yahweh, not a priest to, to the God of Scripture. But Paul views himself as this priest. And it's not a title, to be clear, it's not a title that he gives himself. He says, I, I sit in this role because of the grace given to me by God. God's the one who put Paul in this position as a priest to the Gentiles. This was God's calling on Paul's life. He said to Paul, you will be my apostle to the Gentiles. And how Paul describes his ministry to the Gentiles here, I, I think it is very moving. Paul the priest has an offering to give to God. But his offering is not a lamb, it's not a bull, it's not a grain offering, it's not any of the Old Testament offerings. The offering that Paul brings to the altar, that, brings, that he brings to the, the foot of God's throne... Are Gentile believers. This is in, in Paul's worship of God. He is he's effectively saying here in this letter and in his worship, he's saying to God, God, you have called me to preach the gospel to these Gentiles. And I have I have obeyed. And as part of my praise and my ongoing worship of you, Father, who have given me this role, I bring to you what you have given me. And that is these Gentile believers. They are yours. And I offer them to you in worship. May this offering, Paul says, be acceptable to you. May your spirit sanctify this offering. May you make this holy so that this offering of Gentiles will be pleasing to you. And again, I think it's important that we remember Paul's language and choice of wording going all the way back to Romans chapter 12, verse 2. Where he calls on believers to live, to offer their lives as living sacrifices. And that's what Paul says here. He says, I am a living sacrifice. Making living sacrifices to give to God. This is the re- entire reason Paul has written this letter. Paul worships and he serves God by bringing the Gentiles to faith and to a deeper understanding of the gospel. He serves God by building up the Gentiles in faith so that they will be an acceptable offering to God. And he said, I think that we. I think that we get this idea that living on mission, that fulfilling the Great Commission is all about preaching the gospel to people who've never heard it before. And it absolutely is a part of it. But don't forget that the calling of the Great Commission is to make disciples. And disciples aren't made overnight. It takes time and investment and instruction and work to make a disciple. Add to that where Jesus says, teach them to obey everything that I've commanded. You you see it very clearly. Disciple making disciples takes a lot of time and a lot of work and a lot of patience and a lot of understanding and a lot of grace. But I think that's where we see the beauty of Paul's work and how he writes about it here. His work was to pour into the Gentiles all that he knew about Christ to teach and encourage and correct and admonish so that these Gentile Christians would grow in their faith and then be an acceptable offering to God. And so I ask, what would it look like if we as a church set out to be mission minded like this? 
What if we became so consumed by the Great Commission that we poured ourselves out in love and service both to one another, making it our goal to build one another up, to equip one another, to teach and instruct one another so that each of us could leave here on mission to make more disciples? What if every week as we gathered in worship, we came together as the church and we said, these are the people that I've shared Jesus with this week. I offer them to you as a sacrifice, Lord. Sanctify them. Accept them. Save them. These are the people that I'm praying for. I offer them to you, Lord, in worship. Please accept them. I read these words of Paul and I think about the ministry that God has called me to here at Bear Creek. And I I want to say with Paul that it is it is my desire to fulfill this ministry that God has given me. I want to pour into you as a church so that you will be sanctified, so that you will become great commission disciples, mission minded people like Paul was. And I want to be able to say like Paul. God, this is the ministry that you have given me. These are the people that you have called me to lead. I offer them back to you. May they be acceptable in your sight. May you sanctify them by your spirit. May they be yours. Mission-minded people make mission-minded people. So let's be mission-minded. Number three, mission-minded people boast in Christ. Mission-minded people boast in Christ. You see, Paul knows that even though he's put all this hard work in, he knows that none of this work is done in his own strength or by his own power. And we have to know this too. He says in 17 and 19, 17, 18 and 19 that in Christ Jesus, I have reason to be proud of my work for God. For I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience by word and deed, by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the spirit of God. Now, I think there's a little bit of a contradiction here and we should address it. Paul says that he is proud of his work, but he also says that he refuses to speak about anything except the work that God has done. And so I think here's what we have to understand about mission mindedness. First. We don't pursue the Great Commission because God needs us. He doesn't. God doesn't need you. He doesn't need you to spread his gospel. He doesn't need you to make disciples. If God so chose, he could make as many disciples that he wanted in a snap of his fingers. I've heard many well-meaning preachers tell people that if you don't share the gospel with someone, if you don't teach others about Jesus, then they will be lost forever and that's going to be on you. God doesn't call us to preach because he needs us. Saving souls, making disciples, that's his work, not ours. But it is a work that we are blessed to be included in. God gives us commands like the Great Commission and he says, go do this, go make disciples and trust that I am with you. Doing it alongside of you and through you and in you. Saving souls, making disciples, that's God's job, it's not mine. 
It would be really foolish for Paul to say that he's proud of his work and and say, hey, look at me. Look what I've accomplished. Look at all these churches that I've planted. Look at how the gospel has gone forth because of my ministry. And he'd be an idiot if he did it. But instead, he says here, I have reason to be proud of my work because of the work that God has done through me. The Gentiles have faith, not because Paul was convincing, but because Christ saved them. Paul preached and God affirmed the truth of this message through signs and wonders and then moved in the power of the spirit to give life. And any growth that we have a church, whether that growth is numerical or spiritual, and, and we pray for both. Don't get me wrong. But any growth that we have as a church is not because we're doing something right. It's not because we tapped into something that we had previously missed. Any growth that we have as as a church is solely because God is faithful and he saves. He is the one who does it. He is the one we praise and he is the one that we boast in. Mission minded people boast in Christ. Lastly, mission minded people reach the lost. Mission minded people reach the lost. I won't spend too much time here on this last trait because not because I don't think it matters, but because really we'll spend more time on this next week. Uh, and we've, we've spent a lot of time on, on what it means to be mission minded. But and we, we've we've sort of touched on this mission in parts. But here's here's where I want to lay out the full scope of what I mean and what Paul means by mission minded. Mission minded people reach the lost. You see, from the end of 19 all the way through 21, Paul tells us what he's been about, what his mission in life has been to preach where Christ has not yet been preached. And I think there's a strangeness, too, that Paul could say in in verse 19, for example, that or in in verse 20. That he has preached from Jerusalem and all the way around to Illyricum and he has fulfilled or that that word in Greek is actually completed the ministry of the gospel of Christ. And you could read that verse and think that Paul has, is saying that I've preached to everyone that I know to preach to from Jerusalem all the way to Illyricum, which is Albania, which is just east of Italy. Huge area. But I don't think Paul is saying that I've preached to every single village and every single person and I've shared the gospel to every single person that I've met all along this road. And there's no one else in this area that has not yet heard the gospel. That's not what he's saying. But what he is saying is that he has planted churches and he has helped those churches grow and become established enough that they could not only stand on their own feet, but so that they could continue the work of evangelism where they are. You see, I think this is the biblical model for church planting and for mission work. Christians go to a place, go to a people group where Christ is not known, where Christ is not proclaimed. And these believers share the gospel and Lord willing, by his grace, they see these people come to faith in Christ. And these new believers continue to learn. They continue to grow in their faith. They begin sharing the gospel with others that they know in their area. And as more believers come together, as more people are saved, a church is formed and established. And this church grows and flourishes through the proclamation of the gospel. 
And when that church can stand on its own, the missionaries who arrive there can move on. And this provides an opportunity for this new church, this church of, of newly established believers who have, who have the knowledge and the skill set to be able to stand, who are filled with goodness and filled with knowledge and able to instruct one another, that they can stand and not be tied to any one missionary personality or any one preacher, but that they can be tied solely to the teaching of Christ. And it also allows that missionary, as they move on, to continue reaching areas that have not yet heard. That's the model that Paul sets for us in the New Testament. He goes to an area, he preaches the gospel, he plants a church, he raises and builds up that church. And when that church is sufficient to stand on its own in the teaching of the gospel, Paul moves on and does it all over again. And then it's up to that established church to continue its ministry, reaching its area, proclaiming the gospel where they are planted. That's what church planting is. It's taking the gospel to where it is not. It's living in obedience to the mission of God. Now, it might be hard to believe because we we live in a small southern town in the United States. And here in Mount Pleasant, being such a small town, we ourselves have over 30 churches. But when we look at Mount Pleasant, when we look going even farther into Richfield and Albemarle, the area that God has planted us as a church, this area, and I, I, need, you, I need you to see this, this area is an area of lostness. There are people perishing on our street who do not know Christ. There are people who've who've never heard the gospel in our towns or people who have heard the gospel and don't understand it or who've heard it and they reject it. But the lost are here. And they are around you, whether you see it or not, they are there. There are drugs down the road here in either direction. There are broken homes and hurting families all around us. And there is foolishness and pride and immorality and all manner of sins that are just here. And the reason for all of this being in our own backyard and around us is because there are people who do not know Christ here. Church, I don't don't want to be satisfied with the growth that God has given us over the last several years together. I don't don't want to be satisfied and become too inward focused on who we are and then forget about the people that are around us. I don't want to forget about the people who need Christ. I want us to be a church that lives in obedience. A church that lives on mission. A church that, that... Reaches the lost. And this requires all of us. Not just one individual to go and do it. Mission minded people make healthy churches. Mission minded people make mission minded people. Mission minded people boast in Christ. And mission minded people reach the lost. I, I truly believe that God has given us as a, as a church this mission 
to make disciples who make disciples, to reach the lost with the hope of the gospel and to grow in Christ likeness as the body of Christ. And it's not just my belief that drives us. This is God's word that teaches and commands this. But the question that faces us now as a church is, will we be on mission? Will we live like Paul and allow the mission of God to fill our minds so that it impacts every single thing that we do as a church? Are we or will we simply just do what we've always done because we've always done it? There are people who need the gospel. And you are called to go and give it to them. We are called to be mission minded people. So will we? Pray with me. God, thank you for your word. And help us. Help us to live in obedience. We cannot, we cannot do any of this without your spirit guiding and conforming and transforming our lives to obedience to this, to this book, to your word and to your will. And so, God, ignite a fire in us. Give us a passion for the lost. Give us a desire to make the gospel known. And be glorified in your people here at Bear Creek as the gospel spreads forth. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.